let's pray again. Father, it is so good to be in your presence, Lord. Wherever two or more are gathered together in your name, you are there in the midst of them. You said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You said it's good for us that you're going away because you're going to send the comforter, and, and you did. Yeah. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. We are now born again through his power, by your word, into your kingdom. Father, I pray that every one of us here today will be open to what you want to speak to us. It may be different for each one, but we want to hear from you, Lord. We want to hear from you. When Jesus spoke to Peter about it, when everybody was forsaking him, he said, you're going to go too, Peter? Peter says, no way. Where, where, where could I go? You have the words of eternal life. Father, open up the word of eternal life to us today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise God, praise God. Well, you might have seen in the media this week that uh, it's the uh, 20th anniversary of the 911 tragedy in the United States. And, uh, and I want to talk today from Psalm 23. And, and what I noticed this week that people actually, uh, at a time of crisis and suffering and tragedy, people show a lot of interest in Psalm 23. It's actually one of the few passages of Scripture that even if you're not a Christian, you're probably well aware of at least what it is, if not some of the words. And uh, this morning I was reading about a man named Todd Beamer. And as you all know, there were two aircraft that took out the World uh, Trade Center towers. Another one hit the Pentagon, but one didn't make it to the target. And the terrorist had uh, taken control of the plane using knives, box cutters. And this man, Todd, managed to make a phone call and he called 911 and spoke to the operator. And uh, she was already aware of what was happening, but the people on the flight were not aware of what was happening outside of that plane. And so uh, Todd spoke to her and told her all about what was happening. She said, yeah, we, we know about this. It's, it's the World Trade Center towers are gone and, and the Pentagon's been hit. And we believe that your flight is part of that same operation. And uh, so then she gets off and she gets in touch with the FBI and the FBI agent got into on a conference call and they got Todd back. And Todd had been talking to the other passengers. They had been forced to sit down the back of the plane and there was the air phone was at the back of the plane and he managed to use that to make the call. And so he's there huddled with all the other passengers and um, he made a decision that they weren't just going to let this airplane crash but they were going to stand up, they were going to rise up and try to do something about it. And he said to, the, the lady's name was Lisa, the operator, he said to her, Lisa, pray with me. And they prayed the Lord's Prayer and then they recited Psalm 23. And uh, Todd's last words that the operator heard were, okay, let's roll. And they managed to divert that aircraft from its target. Now, the plane crashed and Todd died. That's a tragedy. He had a wife and children and one on the way. 
but his death wasn't for nothing. Psalm 23 is, is such a relevant psalm in so many ways that T.D. Jakes, the week after that event, preached on this psalm. It's a great listen. You should listen to it sometime. But how often do we hear this psalm at funerals? It, it's a very common scripture for us in times of deep need. And, and I love this psalm. I'm going to be talking all about Psalm 23 today. The scripture is remarkable for many reasons. One of my favorite reasons is it's a Psalm of David. And David was a king when he wrote it, but he was reflecting on a time when he was not a king. He was a shepherd boy. And his shepherding really only occurred in his childhood, but the lessons that he learned sustained him for his whole life. I'm going to read through the entire psalm, and then I'll come back and we'll talk some more about it. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Beautiful passage of scripture. So what can we learn from David the shepherd boy, about Almighty God. Well, let's start with the first verse. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And already we're into a very deep theological discussion because here we have a man, a mere mortal, assigning a position to the creator of heaven and earth in regards to his own life. And in the day, a shepherd was not a uh, vocation to be celebrated. It was very common. It was very low class. And he's saying, the Lord is my shepherd. And that would be audacious to many of the religious people at the time. They would not find that easy to sit well under that sort of a, a, a psalm. But David goes on through this psalm and elaborates in a way that makes us realize how humble our God is. How amazing his love is for us that he would be our shepherd. He would choose to take on responsibility for our care in the same way that a shepherd does the sheep. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. You might think that you're my boss, but the Lord is my shepherd. You might think that you provide my needs, but the Lord is my shepherd. I heard someone uh, giving a story, a testimony this week on Facebook, and she was about to lose her job, but she said, whatever, God didn't give me this job to provide my needs. He provides my needs anyway. So you can take my job, 
but the Lord is still my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. You know, you can have rich parents and still have deep needs that are not met. You can marry a woman whose father owns a brewery and still live in abject poverty if your father-in-law decides so. Or it could be your mother-in-law. You know, um, just as an aside, you do realize if you rearrange the letters of mother-in-law, you get woman Hitler. Just saying, all right? Just saying. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. See, we have to remember David is a shepherd boy in Israel, in the Middle East. He's talking about green pastures. I, I haven't seen them, have you? All the photos I see of that territory, it's very dry, it's stony, it's, it's, it's not good sheep country. I know something about not good sheep country. My, my ancestors, when they came to Australia a couple of hundred years ago, they owned half the ship that they came on. And they bought land in South Australia. There's a line that can be drawn across the map. It's called the Goiter Line. And pretty much it rains about once every 10 years there. And they saw it when it was green. And then they lost all their money because it couldn't carry sheep. David says he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now already this is a supernatural thing that a shepherd in Israel can find green pastures regularly enough that you say this is what he does for me. He leads me beside still waters. Once again, we're talking about Israel. It's, it's the edge of the desert. It's not known for its uh, tropical rainforests. In fact, uh, Israel is an amazing country that there's a lot of scientists that have worked on how to do agriculture in that climate, and they're doing quite well with that. But they have to battle with the adverse climate. It's so dry there. You know, uh, in Israel in the day when David wrote this, the shepherd would move the sheep around. They had to because there was such sparse food. If you try to stay in the same place, the sheep will starve. You have to move the sheep around. And there's many sheep tracks, thousands and thousands of sheep tracks in Israel even today. And the shepherd would need to know which path to take to find the pasture that he wants to get to or the waterhole that he wants to get to. Verse 3, he restores my soul. I'll get back to that. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. The note uh, in my Bible says, he leads me in the right paths. Of all the thousands of paths that the shepherd could choose, he leads me in right paths. God is leading you in right paths. You might not think so. Could be the sheep trail is full of stones or thorns. And you might think, this is too difficult. But trust the Lord. He's the good shepherd. The good shepherd looks after the sheep. And he's leading his sheep. He knows them all by name. And he knows which path to take. Of the thousands of options, the Lord, my shepherd, takes me in right paths. 
He does it for his namesake. It's not because I deserve it. It's not because I'm a special sheep, but it's for his namesake. You know, God has exalted his word above his name. That's the only thing that's higher than his name is he's exalted it, the word of God. Jesus, of course, is the word become flesh. Put those scriptures together. Isn't that amazing? But for his name's sake, he leads us in right paths. Because your life is a testimony for people to see. It's a book for people to read. It's a film for people to watch and learn about God about your God who leads you in the right paths. The whole world is watching you. You might not feel like it. You might think you're overlooked. But if they know that Jesus is in you, they're watching because everybody is searching for what Jesus has. They might not know it, but they are. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I I skipped over, he restores my soul. This is such an important one. You know, David as a shepherd boy, I think in his childhood, he would have been a little bit unhappy. There is speculation that his father was indeed his father, but his mother was not his father's wife. That he was actually born to an illegitimate relationship. There's speculation about that. That's why when Samuel came and he asked, Jesse, bring your sons because I've got to anoint one of them to be king. They didn't even invite David. He stayed out in the paddock looking after the sheep. He was overlooked, unappreciated and unwelcome. But he was the one that God was searching for. This shepherd boy. You know, I think that your vocation at the moment is very lowly. Oh, I'm just a shop assistant. I'm just a farm worker. I'm just a tradesman. I'm just a public servant. You might might feel like, you know, you're really not contributing much. But don't let your vocation decide your future. Understand that what God was to David was a shepherd. And what God is to you is something very, very important. Something that you can relate to that only you with your unique experience can benefit from. God is always speaking to us, always calling us, always leading us. Always doing things in our lives to bring us closer to himself, more like Jesus and into a blessed future. God wants that for you and for me. He restores my soul. I'm sure David had a lot of pains, but he says he restores my soul. I think that's very interesting. He doesn't really tell us in detail about what God does to restore his soul, but I think it has something to do with leading him, making him lie down in green pastures making him lie down in green pastures, making him, making him, forcing him to lie down and rest in beautiful, green, comfortable pastures, leading him beside the still waters, not, not a waterfall, not turbulent rapids, but still waters. The peace of God is all over this psalm. He restores my soul. Verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I mentioned last week about uh, this verse in communion. And recently I participated in a uh, a course for returned combat veterans dealing with PTSD. 
and it was just a beautiful experience to participate with these special force soldiers and, and others. And the guy who led it was a 14-year veteran, SAS, three uh, tours of Afghanistan. And I'm sure he saw so many things that would create trauma. He, he's written a book, him and his wife, about recovering from that trauma. They're born-again Christians, spirit-filled Christians, of course. And, and what they're doing is so beautiful because soldiers who weren't Christians would come and participate in this course. By the time we get to the end of the course, I'm showing Esther how much scripture they use. It is so cool, yeah. And, and people become Christians as they do this, as God restores their soul and heals them. What a beautiful situation. But I mentioned last week in communion that I think those guys, those return combat veterans, those who have been people trying to kill them and having to kill people, they have a, a sense of trauma that, that I, I can't really relate to. I've got my own trauma and so do you. Everybody has trauma. Everybody suffers at some point in life. There's no way around that. Bible says man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upwards. You know, you've got a campfire, you poke it with a stick, all the sparks fly upwards, okay? Man is born to trouble in that way. We've got a devil that's the stick that pokes the fire and the sparks fly upwards. These guys have a different perspective on this psalm. David also would have understood that perspective because he was a warrior, when he stopped being a shepherd boy the day he slew Goliath, he became a warrior. It defined his life. So much so that even when he was king, he wanted to build the Lord a house. But that God said, no, no, not you, your son. Your son will do it. You've spilt too much blood to build me a house. I'm sure David was traumatized I'm sure he had post-traumatic stress disorder. They just didn't know what to call it in the day. These guys that I did that course with, really, they, they had a very common story. They came back, they couldn't identify, they couldn't integrate. They, they, they felt like they were absent from their mind, but living in this world and, and usually using alcohol to try and uh, repress the feelings of trauma meant that they couldn't hold jobs, couldn't keep marriages, alienated children, all sorts of things that were destroying their lives. Maybe you've been through some trauma too. You might know something about that. I know my wife does. She's had to wake me up so many times with uh, dreams that are flashbacks from early life that weren't good. I'm so glad she's there to wake me up. And I'm so glad they're just dreams. But that's, what, that's why I was participating in this course, you know. These guys really understood something about this verse. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I think David put an Easter egg in this psalm. Uh, younger generation know what I mean by Easter egg in a video game. It's a secret thing that you stumble across and something crazy happens that the game creator just put in there for fun. But this one's not just for fun. This one's... This Easter egg is, is, is a key that unlocks a door to a better future. Notice, for the first three verses, he's talking about the Lord. He says, he, he. 
But then when he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, that place of extreme danger and trauma, he changes from he to you. He changes from he to you. He says, for you are with me. He doesn't say, for he is with me. He says, for you are with me. Because it's in that place of extreme pain, trauma, disaster, tragedy, that Jesus comes to you and gives you the one thing that you need. He said, peace I give to you. Peace I leave with you. He restores your soul. And then you know that you know that you know that even in the darkest of times, the darkest places of your life, hey, but he is with me. He is with me. He is with me. No, you are with me. You are with me. Do you notice a difference? He's not someone we talk about. He's someone we talk to. He's not someone we know about. He's someone who knows us. He's so special in our lives. He's closer to you right now than the air that you're pulling into your lungs. His love for you is stronger than a mother's love for a baby. He values his relationship with you so much that he went to the cross and suffered a very cruel death so that you could live. What a beautiful God we serve. David says here, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. There's, there's a lot of talk around. Someone said to me, are you going to preach something controversial this week? No, I'm not going to preach nothing controversial. I've got a better thing to preach about. You see, uh, the Bible talks about in the end times that it'll be a time of tribulation such as the world has never seen before. We know things are going to get ugly at some point. So knowing about it's not going to save you from it. But there is something that can save you from it, and that's knowing Him who loves you, knowing Him who is the good shepherd, who, who will protect you. He will lead you in the right paths. He'll make you lie down in green pastures. He'll lead you beside still waters no matter what's happening in the world. It could be the end of the age. I don't mind. That's good news. It means Jesus is coming soon. There could be terrible things happening. Yep, I don't mind that either. The Bible says evil men will wax worse and worse. And so he says, because of that, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Come together, encourage one another, build with one another up, pray for one another, confess your faults to one another so that you can be healed. This is a time of coming together when the world will try to separate us. And we know about vaccine passports, that there may come a time where only the vaccinated will be allowed to go to church. It's happening in places around the world right now. It could come here, but whether it does or not, you can't take away Jesus. He's always going to be with us. He's the only thing. They can take your life. Jesus said, don't fear those who have power to hurt your body. But after that, once they kill you, there's nothing else they can do to you. But fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. That's harsh. But that's our call. Isaiah says that we're all counted like sheep for the slaughter. That's okay. I, I would gladly, gladly, Receive the honor of my life being spent in a way that's useful. Like Todd Beamer on that uh, flight that was being taken by hijackers. I would rather be saying, I would rather be saying, let's roll, than be saying, 
Let's settle back and be safe. I would much rather that my life was spent on something useful. Let's continue on. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David knew something about this. You see, when he was a shepherd, a lion attacked his sheep and a bear attacked his sheep and he killed them both using his rod and his staff. And David knew that even though the enemy will make his assaults, our God, our God will protect us. Thank you, Jesus. Um, Verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of my enemies. Once again, in the presence of my enemies, it doesn't matter what happens in the world. He can put me in the darkest place. He'll prepare a table for me. I'll feed on him. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Um, I neglected to mention at the start when I was young, my dad had sheep. He still has sheep. He's 81 and he still works the sheep on his own. Not as many these days. But growing up with my dad's sheep was interesting. You know, when we're called the sheep of his pasture, I find that insulting. We actually had goats and sheep. I've got to tell you, goats are kind of smarter. They'll eat anything, but they're smarter. Sheep are crazy. Have you ever seen them when they're running in a line and one of them will jump for no reason, then everyone after them jumps for no reason at that spot? Sheep are incredible animals. And I was telling Esther, I think it was, that um, one time working with the sheep, dad's drenching them. We're doing something for their good. And the ram came and boompah from behind, knocked him over. Sheep are crazy animals. Crazy. We had to do some things to them that wasn't nice when they were lambs. We cut off their tail. Why? Because we don't want them to get fly blown. And we used to do this thing called wigging where we'd cut the wool away around the face because the wool around the face would particularly get fly blown as well. Now, in David's day, they would put oil on the head of the sheep to stop the flies from getting in there and laying their eggs. Now, I've heard other interpretations of this, like T.D. Jakes. He says, oh... There, there was a tradition that the sheep would put their face down into a hole and there'd be snakes into the hole and the oil was a snake repellent. Well, I hadn't heard that before. I haven't heard it since, but maybe. But I know for sure you would do it to definitely stop the flies from getting in there because they'll go blind if they get infections in their eye. You don't want that. So he anoints my head with oil. My shepherd anoints my head with oil. He makes sure that my vision is clear. And it's not infected by parasites and pests. But he gives me clear vision by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows. Well, that's just good. Surely, the note here says the word surely actually could be said only. I like that. Only goodness and mercy Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Does it get any better than that? What a classic wrap up of a a psalm. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you 
all the days of your life and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Only goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And as for me and my house, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. Come on. Why don't you stand up? We're going to pray. We haven't got a timer on the wall yet, so I hope I didn't go too long. But I think it's important to take enough time to really appreciate what God is saying to us. David was a king. He thought as a king, this was important. He had something to convey that was worth understanding. I want you to, this week, spend some time in Psalm 23. Remind yourself of these truths, of God's infinite love for you, of his goodness, of his care that he takes for you. We are the sheep of his pasture. What a beautiful thing. Father, I thank you for your word in Psalm 23. I thank you, Father God, that all of your works toward us are goodness. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Father, when we don't understand it, I pray, Father God, that you'll clear our vision, make a way for us to see and understand what you're doing. There's so many paths we can take, Lord. Please lead us in the right paths. Sometimes it's so, it's so dry. It's like, it's like the sheep will only get moisture that day by the dew that's on the, the grass in the morning. But Father, I thank you that you lead us beside still waters, not raging turbulent waters that if we go in too far will take us down. Father, you give us still waters and you restore ourselves. Father, today in Jesus' name, I pray for each one of us here that you will restore our souls. We have endured trauma, every one of us. We've been unfairly treated. People who were supposed to care for us let us down and we suffered complex trauma. But Father, I thank you that there is healing in the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed. There is power in your word. Lord God, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. I pray today, Father God, bring us one step closer to that kingdom. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.